You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts, Howard Schweitzer, Mark Alderman, and Jim Schultz. Good morning, everyone. Special edition of The Beltway Briefing here with Mark Alderman, Howard Schweitzer, and my good friend, Dan Muser. Dan is the congressman from the 9th Congressional District. He sits on the Budget Committee, Veterans Affairs, and uh, Education and Labor. And he's with us today to talk about what's going on in Washington and this on our new format where we're going to try to bring in uh, guests from around the country to, to join us. So, Dan, welcome. Thank you, Jim. Great to be with you. Howard, Mark, I very much appreciate it. Congressman, thanks for joining us. Morning. So, Congressman, I'm going to kick it off. We've got a time of national crisis, global global crisis, global pandemic, economic devastation. What what is it like to be a sitting member of Congress at a time like this? Well, you know, when you put it that way, I guess not uh, not not so great. But well, look, I'm a, uh, I tend to be uh, I like to think I'm a realist, not an optimist, not a pessimist, uh, but a realist. And I think our country and we can come together and be united and do, do some great things. Um, this Congress, the 116th Congress, has been quite a disappointment. It's really been a lot of opportunity lost. You know, when I came in, we uh, we had a shutdown, uh, actually the longest shutdown in, in federal government history over $3.6 billion that the president felt was necessary to keep 120,000 at the time, legal immigrants from, from crossing the border. I mean, you know, frankly, Nancy Pelosi and others uh, said, uh, this is a manufactured crisis, there is no crisis. Then they started saying there is a crisis. And eventually the president came up with some uh, emergency aid. And it just went, went from, from bad to worse from there. Again, opportunity lost, unfortunately. You know, the rank and file, Republicans and Democrats, we, we talk. We have, we have great conversations. I'm in the Problem Solvers Caucus. We have 25 Republicans, 25 Democrats. I'm, I'm very happy to be part of that group. We actually have made a difference. As a matter of fact, the humanitarian package that we came up with actually solved the, uh, the, the, the border crisis at the time. And the White House embraced it. They liked it. But then we went from, you know, from, from uh, Russian collusion to to some wild bills such as H.R. 1 that had no chance of passing. I mean, the Democrats passed uh, an amnesty bill, uh, which was hypocrisy. I mean, you know, it wasn't going anywhere. And so we wasted some time. And then, of course, we got into impeachment and, you know, uh, without evidence, uh, no, no, no crime, no due process. I mean, and then and then, you know, they all vote for it, basically, and um, uh, to throw our president out. Um, and then uh, we lead into uh, this crisis. So it's been a uh, it's been a heck of a, you know, whoever said, may you live in interesting times. I don't think actually lived in interesting times yet. At the same time, our economy has has uh, been very strong. We, we, we did get some trade deals done. Right. The USMCA, for whatever reason, again, Speaker Pelosi decided to put that off for months and months and months. Uh, but we eventually got it done. The China deal, these trade deals and low taxes and regulatory reform and energy independence and low cost of doing business, frankly, can still make the 20s a great American decade. And that's uh, that's what I'm excited about. And that's why I look forward to um, next year. Dan, we worked 
together in the Corbett administration when you were Secretary of Revenue and I was General Counsel. And I'll tell you, I mean, as a member of the cabinet, you worked very, very well with both sides of the aisle and were a go-to person. Could you talk a little bit more about what goes on in the Problem Solvers Caucus? I think our listeners would like to hear a little bit about that because I think all they hear about is on the on both whether you're watching Fox News or CNN, it's the partisanship that's going on in Washington. Talk a little yeah, bit more. Sure, sh- surely you meant to reference MSDNC, not CNN there. <laughs> okay, fine. MSDNC as well. I, I won't call it the Cuomo News Network, but anyway. Um, you know, and, and, and I'm kidding. You know, you, you can kid in politics and, and you can, look, there is, there is politics, uh, heaven forbid within what we do, but governing should win the day, at least come the end of the day. Problem solvers has been great. Um, We have our two chairmen, Tom Reed and Josh Gothheimer, I think extremely highly of both of them. You know, it's funny, I I usually start a problem solvers meeting, the first 20 minutes I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing here? The second 20 minutes I'm thinking, hmm, now I, I think I know what I'm doing here. And the last 20 minutes is probably the most encouraging 20 minutes perhaps uh, in, in my time in, uh, of the week, uh, because we, we do come together. You know, seriously, people like Tom Swazi and, and I can really go on with the list. Um, they've all become uh, friends and we, um, we, we try to get, we, we try to problem solve, we try to get to the middle. What do we agree on and how can we get it implemented? Uh, and um, so it's, it's, a, it's, it, it's good. And, and I think it's the, it's the tradition, or years back anyway, of how, how Congress uh, worked together. And th- there's only one way to get things done, and, and that's uh, on a bipartisan basis. Things, partisan um, uh, policies just aren't going to go through. Congressman, thank you for your service, and, and especially thank you for working in the problem solvers. What would your problem solvers caucus do with where we are today? We have the Heroes Act sitting way out on one end. We have the Heels Act sitting way out on the other end. And we have people suffering in between. What's the solution to that problem, sir? Well, obviously, they're working on it. Um, and uh, there's uh, meetings, even while we're not in session, and just trying to come together, right? What, what is important? Right? What's the right level of unemployment compensation? Uh, should we do the stimulus checks and, and, and the uh, for the for the most part, we're in agreements with the White House. Yes, uh, there. Yes, um, do we need some sort of liability coverage? Uh, yes, we do. Uh, do we need to open our schools safely? Yes, we do. Um, uh, do we uh, need uh, some funding for uh, added to the PPP, particularly for the restaurants and, and some of the businesses that have collapsed by by more than fifty percent? I mean, those are some areas that we absolutely all agree. Now, the HEROES Act has a lot more than that, right? First of all, it was that 3.2 trillion granted. Uh, Nancy, Speaker Pelosi has come back a good 800 billion, 900 billion. But you know, when you start at 3.2 trillion dollars and you and you back off one trillion, and we're still off w- close to a trillion dollars. I mean, that, that's how far we're still off. There's still a ways to go, and you know. Much of, the, much of what the HEROES Act is about is not related to recovery, and it's not related to the coronavirus. And that's a problem I have, right? What are we doing putting new federal re- regulations for voting in, in the HEROES Act? Um, why 
Are we, um, uh, why are we, why is cannabis such a big issue in, in the HEROES Act? Um, why are we insisting on making sure illegal immigrants get temporary amnesty, okay, as well as stimulus checks? I mean, they voted for that and, and they're, they're, they're held on it. I can't speak for problem solvers there because we're, we're working through those things. But so, so there are certain poison pills that there's no chance are going to get through. So they need to, they need to be removed because we are in a crisis and this virus is not going away. You know, where's the money for the vaccine and the virus? Our bill, the HEALS Act, $1.2 trillion, has three times as much money for vaccines and, and testing as does the $3.2 trillion um, HEROES Act. So things like that don't add up and they, and they need to. You know, Steve Mnuchin and, and, and uh, Speaker Pelosi, it's no secret, have a very good relationship. I mean, they can work together. So what's going on here? You know, is it about solving a problem or about prolonging a problem? Now, I, I hate looking at somebody's motives, right? I mean, it's, 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 you, you got to try to avoid it, but you still have to try to put yourself in their place. What is the incentive not to accomplish what we can accomplish, particularly in the short term, between now and the end of the year, at least, as opposed to doing nothing, which is what's happening. Well, isn't it, I mean, isn't it that the Democrats, they're looking at the polls and they think they have leverage and they're only willing to go so far right now because they think they're sweeping in, in November. Isn't that what's going on? Well, I, I again, I, I hope not. Um, you know, the country has to come first. Um, I, I, clearly, there's a there are elements to this that are that are very political, and, and that can be understood. However, there'll be a lot of wins to go around, and we um, we we have to come to those, right? I mean, we just do. And if the American people sense that, well, then those individuals should be voted out. And back to my problem solvers caucus, I. I those Democrats are not in that caucus that are trying to prolong this problem. I, I can say that. So what are you, what are you hearing in your uh, what are you hearing back in your district? What are your constituents telling you? What you know? You, you're in a very um, Republican district. You, you're in a in a safe seat by all accounts, and and Trump won. What by thirty four points or something like that in uh, twenty nine, close enough. Okay, close enough. Uh, so what? I mean, what are you, what are your constituents telling you? Well, they um, look. There, I have a pretty traditional district, if you will, and the um, even our Democrats are Pennsylvania traditional Democrats. They're not today's Democrats. Um, as a matter of fact, um, well, uh, I'll, I'll save my joke for later. But we um, so we uh, the president's getting as many Democrats, uh, it seems, in, in my district as and I, 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 I uh, campaign to them. So so look, they want they want the things that have made America great, if you will, not to give a campaign pitch. I mean, they they do want law and order. Uh, they do want secure borders. They do want a strong military. They do want an economy that works for as many people as possible, if not all. They do want limited government, right? Uh, all of these things. They absolutely want lower health care costs. And these are things that the president is on the right side of. Surprise billing for health care. Why that didn't get accomplished in this Congress is, is bewildering. 
That's an absolute shame that that wasn't done. That could have been bipartisan, could have been done. If Speaker Pelosi would have brought it to the floor. Uh, lower pharmaceutical costs. Look, I'm look, big pharma's doing its thing and, and all, but big pharma is a problem. And we um uh we we need to react to uh the, the extremely high cost that Americans pay for these products. The president, the president, by the way, is on the right side of these issues. All right. And um and and many Democrats are, but the Democrat leadership is absolutely not. And why? Maybe they don't want the president to be seen sitting down, signing a bill that is so advantageous to so many. Transportation and infrastructure. That's something that it's one of the reasons I want to get reelected. I think we need a massive uh, federal uh, and, and, and state bill on, on transportation infrastructure. Let's modernize. That's part of the recovery. Where's that money? And, you know, the, the, uh, unfortunately, the Democrats brought a plan to the, to the House floor came out of committee, all, all partisan, $2 of every five went towards Green New Deal initiatives. I mean, you know, that's just not going to pass. So what are we doing? Opportunity lost. Congressman, what's your view of congressional federal uh, aid to states and cities? You, you know the situation uh, in Pennsylvania. You know it well as a former uh, Secretary of Revenue with uh, Governor Corbett. In the uh, Heels Act, there is none, and um, I'm wondering what your your view is about a, an eventual resolution of that. Well, there was quite a bit in the CARES Act, right? Offhand, I believe it was $155 billion. Pennsylvania received 5.9, 1.9 went to directly to our top seven counties. So it was $4 billion out of a $30 billion budget. That's a pretty good chunk in a uh, in, in, in one bill. Right. And there's still 30 percent not spent, about one point six billion, I understand. So that's one of the reasons that it's not necessarily in the Heels Act right now. Now, if we could talk about targeted funds that are part of the recovery, there is one hundred and five billion dollars for schools. That's that that's monies that, that compensate the um, uh, the states. There's two hundred dollars in the HEROES Act or excuse me, in the, in the uh, HEAL Act, HEALS, for, for supplemental unemployment compensation. Now, the president, of course, in his uh, executive order made it $400, where the state has to chip in $100. But, but again, that is indirect further compensation to the states. Now, we could come together on it. I think we should be backfilling transportation infrastructure funding, um, which has been enormously hurt because people stop. People weren't out, right? It comes from gasoline uh, uh, taxes. So, um, so there there should be, uh, but it can't just be completely open and available. And as you hear on the news, a bailout to states that were mismanaged over the years—that is not going to pass. So, switching gears a little bit, what's what's your take on the president's performance during the during the pandemic? Well. You know, I've actually gotten to know an easy question. I know. Yeah. Gotten to know him some. Um, I know he uh, loves our country. I know he's determined. Uh, I know he's very hardworking. And I firmly believe his heart and his mind are, are in the right place. And so, look, this thing's been this thing's been difficult. You know, let's not forget in by February 15th, we still had the strongest economy that we've seen in our country in 50 years. 
Pennsylvania, perhaps 90 to 100 years, the strongest economy that we have, in spite of some of the very liberal high-end taxes and all that we have. So, so look, our condition is not a lot different than the UK's, than many other uh, countries. I mean, Italy, look, we went through the shutdown. The president on the same note is an optimist, right? I mean, at least he sees the glasses half full and not half empty. So he's always, always pushing for, why can't we do this in a safe, smart manner and stay open, all right, with minimal, with, with slowdowns, but not shutdowns, and keep things as buoyant as possible while remaining safe? And look, he had his task force with him. You know, uh, Andrew Cuomo was, you know, got more famous by doing all, all of his uh, press conferences. But where was his task force? Right. I mean, the president was there with them. They're answering questions. Sometimes they're not necessarily on the same page. You know, you had Fauci. Look, Dr. Fauci, I, I sat next to Dr. Fauci twice, right, right next to him uh, in meetings with him. Now, he's been, OK, smart guy, been around, OK, experienced. He's been wrong quite a bit, too. OK, a lot of people have been wrong at the, at, as we go, but, but we're learning. And I think the president's learning and the president's not short-sighted. I think he's 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 doing he's doing his absolute best here. Um, and uh, look, I, I mean, you know, I don't think we've never ha ever had a media that and I, I remember Ronald Reagan. You know, the media likes to talk about Ronald Reagan. Oh, wasn't he terrific at all? The media used to beat the hell out of him uh, back in the day. Uh, but it's nothing compared to how, how dark they always paint anything of, of the president. I mean, take hydroxychloroquine. I mean, how did something like that? get so political. I mean, you know, you got a lot of doctors, many. Our doctor coalition in the House feels it is the, if your doctor says you should take it, well, you should take it. You know, yet, yet, yet the media beats it up like it's some voodoo drug. Hey, Dan, what's it like, switching gears a little more, what's it like campaigning in this environment, right? Now, you've got a pretty safe district, but you're a hard worker. You're you're out raising money. You're helping other other Republicans. You're taking care of your constituents. But what's it like getting out and campaigning and trying to campaign? And then how do you, you know, what's your assessment on how these two candidates are going to get out and campaign? We're getting real close to fall when we're going to get in full season. How's that going to happen? Well, you know, I get out. I mean, I was I, I did two events yesterday. Uh, there were practicing social distancing much as you know certain areas do and some do more i brought my son to bucknell yesterday but um he started school there uh they're opened up uh, everybody's wearing masks uh, bucknell by the way has done such a smart strategic well communicated job I'm, I'm i'm thrilled and proud how how smart they were about it temperature checks testing all the kids before they arrive were tested twice they continue to be just um, uh, again, leaning in, leaning in, figuring it out, how to do it and how to, how to do it safely. And so campaigning um, is, is more or less the same. Definitely there's, there's more Zoom, uh, there's more phone calls. People aren't necessarily expecting to see you. You go to an event, there's 20 people rather than, rather than 80. Um, I will tell you this, I mean, one thing about with, with this crisis that took place, I mean, I've never been more active, and I'd say most members as well, in the district. I mean, that was from basically March 16th through, through today, for that matter, but mainly through the, 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 the real tough times, through, uh, through mid-May, mid let's say. I mean, I was probably in touch with every single hospital every, every week. 
every bank uh, working on PPPs, countless businesses fighting with our governor's office on who's life-sustaining and who isn't. I mean, you know, those who rose to the occasion and, and look, man, I, I, you know, I'm in this position. I got here for, I take the responsibility. I mean, um, uh, to not just be people's voice, but be there, uh, be their problem solver, be, um, be, be the squeaky wheel uh, in the federal government to help them get things done. So it's been a, it's been a wild ride, but, but we just got to persevere and, uh, you know, get out where you can and, and, and communicate, you know, social media, the mailers we've been doing, uh, tele-town halls. You know, I get 13,000 people on my tele-town halls. People are very interested uh, in, in today's information. So working at the- Let me ask you, let me ask you, Congressman, uh, uh, an equal opportunity question. Howard asked you about the president's performance. Um, I'm wondering what you think of our governor's performance. How are we doing in Pennsylvania? You uniquely uh, in the delegation have both the- the Harrisburg and the Washington perspective. So yeah. how, how do you think we're doing? How do people in your district think we're doing? Well, you know, not very well. Um, and, and look, I, I, I say that in all due respect. I mean, initially, uh, the governor's office and his staff made themselves very available. Uh, DCD, DEP, everything that was going on, uh, Pima, you know, it was good. His, his, his chief, I mean, a lot of good things. But, you know, when they came out with this life-sustaining category, which was really undefined, as opposed to essential and not essential. And then they start picking and choosing who's going to be open. And hey, don't worry about it. We, we're gonna get it right. And then we're gonna have a waiver program. It was impossible. It was impossible. They missed the whole supply chain. They created an unbelievable disruptions. I mean, companies under, under uh, 500 employees um, uh, weren't getting PPP. I mean, I got some big, I got some companies with 550 employees that are enormously harmed. They, didn't, they haven't gone out of business uh, enormously harmed by the fact that they they couldn't open for for three months. Now, I don't know why, frankly, the governor wasn't more inclusionary. Like even the grocery association, when the governor on 48 hours notice told the grocers what new standards they needed to abide by. I mean, they didn't even he didn't bring them in to speak to them. They had a better idea. They were already doing it, how to work in a, in a safe environment. And that should have been done from the very beginning. Now, don't you think that we should have said we're going to be the safest, healthiest workplace and, and, and social society in the country, and we're going to stay as open as possible? And so let's bring people together. Let's do that. Because as I said to the governor, many others I'm sure did too, this isn't going away. This isn't going away for a long while. We need to get used to these behavioral changes now. Instead, by ordering this and ordering that and, and sending some of my counties in central Pennsylvania, for crying out loud, in, in the southeast and keeping them from opening for a while, um, you know, doing things in isolation. And then the governor, you know, decides because he was he was mad at a couple of people in Lebanon County, decides not to only one county didn't get the CARES Act funding as per federal statute and affirmed by state statute how the allocation should take place, the governor decided to hold $12.8 million from, from Lebanon County because he was mad at a couple of state reps that said, you know, the governor's not doing things right and his data is wrong and our data is right. I mean, you know, my, my only response to the governor was, why don't you just hear him out? I mean, what are we doing here? How come we're not, we're, we're not working together? You know, the more ownership somebody has to a decision, 
the, the more they're going to like it, right? The more they're going to going to embrace it, and the more they're going to follow it. I just feel bad that so much trust has been lost. You know, that's why this thing exists with the masks. People, you know, they're like, I don't want to be told what to do. You know, they told us one thing, they told us something else. I mean, we need a consistent, a consistent plan for safe uh, living uh, to save lives, but also save livelihoods. And, and, and frankly, I, I think the governor has done poorly there. Dan, I want to shift real quick. How, you know, Pennsylvania is such a key state for this presidential election. And while you're in Republican country up in northeastern Pennsylvania, you have a broader view of that region. And, and that's really a really important swing region for this election in northeastern Pennsylvania, where you have Wilkes-Barre and Scranton's up there and a lot of Democrats in that region. And the, and the last time the president won it by northeastern Pennsylvania by 28 points. How does this president, you know, in the wake of COVID and wake of all of the issues that we're seeing, we're seeing polls that are between six and 10, 12 points uh, down for President Trump in Pennsylvania. How's he win the state? And how does Joe Biden capture the state, right? How, yeah. it, 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 how, how does the president defend himself with Joe Biden, you know, who used to, who touts himself as the third Pennsylvania senator? Yeah. Well, you know, if this, if the election would have taken place in, you know, January, I, I, I think the president would have won strongly, significantly. We have, we had a great economy and particularly in Pennsylvania. Uh, what's interesting is we don't think the governor, uh, excuse me, the president has lost a vote in Pennsylvania. So he did win by 44,000 last time. We do know the turnout was high for Republicans, but it was also, it was not low for Democrats, but maybe we caught them a little bit by surprise. But what's changed is the, the president's kept his promises and Pennsylvania has, has flourished, uh, particularly in the Southwest. You do polls down in the Southwest, Pittsburgh, Allegheny County, Westmoreland County, president's doing very well, much better than he was, than he was doing before. Uh, so, so that's one thing. And let, let's face it, let's go back to Hillary Clinton in 16. The, the president was down by, uh, well, not the president at the time, he, he was down by six, seven, eight, eight, eight points as well. Secondly, the uh, the law the lawlessness issue law and order uh, we're, we're we're getting feedback we're getting polls you know maybe people don't like Donald J Trump personally but they they don't like lawlessness more and we're we're seeing that and how how the Democrat leadership has decided to empathize sympathize uh, support tacitly but sometimes more than tacitly. Uh, what's going on in many communities, these unpeaceful protests, these, these rioters, all right, and then, say, and then coming out and saying how peaceful they all are, well, you know, take a walk down Walnut Street. That, that doesn't look like a lot of peaceful protesters were there. I mean, virtually every window along the way was broken. Uh, all this anti-police, uh, defund the police, Black Lives Murder, or excuse me, uh, Blue Lives Murder, check that. Um, you know, that, that's not peaceful either. It's not violent. And, and, the, and the general public is, is seeing this and they don't like it. They don't like this extremism. Um, they're, they're, they're Democrats. Uh, maybe they like the old Joe Biden, but the new Joe Biden has adopted, if not 100 percent, close to 80 percent of what Bernie Sanders was all about. And I guess, frankly, he had to do that to get the deal, you know, on Super Tuesday to get everybody on board. And then he brings Kamala Harris on board. And, uh, you know, they're making Kamala Harris out. Look, she seems like a really smart, sharp woman. But she's also the 
most extreme liberal in the U.S. Senate. And that's quite an accomplishment when you're going up against Chuck Schumer and, and Bernie Sanders and, 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 and Elizabeth Warren. So that's how he chose his running mate. And holy cow, she doesn't identify with Pennsylvania. She sure doesn't identify with Northeast Pennsylvania. Um, I mean, I think I identify, you know, she identifies with Northeast Pennsylvania like I identify with San Francisco. I mean, she's for um, sanctuary cities. She's against uh, border security. She's for the Green New Deal. She wants to do away with private insurance, do away with it and have a complete federal takeover. Right. She thinks AOC's 80 percent taxes on the wealthy. Her word, fantastic. So, you know, so I, I think when traditional Democrats, which largely we have in Luzerne County, Lackawanna, and, and certainly throughout my district of Schuylkill, Burks, Columbia, Carbon, Montour, uh, Lebanon, um, you know, that's not who they identify with. And Joe, you know, Joe seems along for, for the ride. You know, the old Joe Biden is, uh, is, is not today's Joe Biden. So Congressman, uh, Saturday we morning, we got to get that message out. Jim and I usually have a little back and forth on on all of the above. I just want to compliment you on doing a a far more eloquent and compelling job than Jim usually does <laughs> right. in presenting what I consider to be all of those talking points. But I'm <laughs> but I'm not going to engage on, on that because we're running out of time. And I just want to go all the way back, if I may, to an issue that you mentioned at, at the very beginning. Uh, again, this, this is an interesting federal state uh, situation, and, and that is cannabis. I, I appreciate that you don't think it should be part of the COVID relief. But uh, well, more clearly, it shouldn't be. I'm asking, I think I was asking the Congressman Howard, but I'm, I know, but but I'm happy to stay to on. Interject. <laughs> Very happy to stay on and debate you for a little while if you have the time. But Congressman, wh what is your view of, of the cannabis situation where Pennsylvania, of course, has a medical program and there's a dichotomy between uh, Washington and, and Harrisburg on that? Uh, well, uh, yeah, well, the, the Harrisburg with uh, Governor Wolf there. Uh, look, um, for as as for medicinal purposes, um, I have no problem uh, with 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 cannabis uh, being used uh, by by um, prescription. Uh, uh, and uh, for those who find the benefits, the medical benefits, I can understand that. And why would I consider standing in the way of that? There's there's many drugs out there that will harm you if you, you take them in excess. But that's part of the problem, right? I mean, what is excess uh, when it comes to prescribing cannabis and, 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 and what isn't? A lot of that isn't defined. It's not defined how it affects uh, young people. Some people will tell you it is defined. You know, I, I, I'll tell you what, Mark, I go to, um, you go to a rehab center and you could have 10, do a little focus group, have 10 therapists, doctors sitting around you. This happens every time. And I'll ask the question, is marijuana, is cannabis a gateway drug? And they don't even let me finish my question. They'll say yes. So, so I'm not, now that's, that's their field. I, I'm, I, I'm not going to say the jury's out, but the jury's out. Let's see. Let's do it from a medicinal standpoint, right? Let, let's make it available. Let's see how it does. Let's take, let's take it a little bit slow. And, uh, and, and I think not just, you know, 
Dan Muse's opinion on it. I think I think as a representative of the people, I think that's how people would like to see it, it, it perhaps move along or find out the problems that uh, can come from it. Leave it to Mark to want to talk about cannabis at a time of national crisis. Of course he does. Well, Congressman, thank you so much for making the time to to join us. We hope you'll come back. And this was fascinating and and illuminating to get your perspective uh, at a time like this is is a treat. So thank you so much for joining us. Howard, thanks very much. It was a great opportunity. Good to be with you. And I certainly thank my my very good friend, uh, Jim Schultz, uh, for inviting me. Appreciate it. Glad to have you on. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for listening to the Beltway Briefing. If you liked our show, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify. And while you're at it, drop us a rating. To learn more about the Beltway Briefing or Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, please visit our website at copublicstrategies.com.